Hello and welcome to How to Deal with Grief and Trauma. My name is Natalie Himmelrich. Today I speak with Dominic Rice, who I have come to know as part of the Instagram community of bereaved parents, supporting one another in the Grieving Parents Support Network. People come and go in this community, but Dominic has stayed actively involved and developed the voice to be noticed, creating stillbirth awareness in honor of her son TJ. She says, I need to parent my son and honor where I'm at. So that's the evolution, once again, of the stillbirth mama fighting for light and how I really transition my grief and my reality to be unapologetic. And I say that quite often, unapologetic grief. It has taken me time, but I can't sugarcoat once again my reality. I can't water myself down. Dominic's biography reads that she wears many hats. A staunch activist, laid-back California transplant, savvy Brooklyn girl, superstar salesperson. But her most important role is that of a bereaved mother of five. Dominic has never had any reason to suspect that something was amiss in her second pregnancy. At least, not until it was already too late. Like many parents, stillbirth and preventative measures were never discussed with Dominic, leaving her completely blindsided when at 36 and a half weeks pregnant, she unexpectedly went into labor and her second child and first son, TJ, was born still. In between her morning TJ coffee, where she holds space each day for her son, rocking a successful sales career and loving on TJ's living siblings, Dominic is passionate about sharing her stillborn son, creating stillbirth and child death awareness and connecting with other bereaved families to support them in their non-traditional parenthood. Grief is not something that parents should need to hide. Stillbirth affects over 23,000 families each year and Dominic is not willing to stand by while any of them are silenced for one moment longer. Feel free to connect with Dominic on her well-regarded Instagram account, Stillbirth Mama Fighting for Light, where she's actively breaking down stigma and dropping knowledge to prevent stillbirth from happening. In today's episode, we discuss grieving out loud and the unapologetic love for TJ. Dominic shares how she parents her dead child and how she uses social media to talk openly and connect to other like-minded people. And last but not least, the difference of grieving between partners and how to support one another. Please enjoy today's episode. Beautiful to see you here, Dominic. Thank you for um, spending some time with us on this podcast. How are you today? I am. I'm. I'm here today. I'm. I'm present. I'm showing up, and um, I just. I'm so happy for this opportunity to connect with you. So thank you so much. And I'm aware that as of recording this, it's just been five years since TJ has died. And I'm aware of the significance of this time that we're doing this recording. And I'd love to have you share a little bit about your story of grief and loss. Thank you so much. Um, so for those who are not aware, I'm Dominique Rice. I'm um, a Latina in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I have five children, uh, four living children. TJ uh, is my second child, my first son. And over five years ago, as Natalie mentioned, we went into labor unexpectedly at 36 and a half weeks after a very beautiful, um, smooth pregnancy um, until it, it was not. I went into labor unexpectedly, as I mentioned, um, and was told at the hospital that um, he did not have a heartbeat. 
I found out four years later through um, when finally being ready to receive the information, I, I was able to connect with one of the uh, placenta uh, doctors um, here in um, the Northeast and in, in the uh, in Connecticut. And I found out that my TJ had a small placenta. He was within three percent, three percentile of, of his placenta, and, and that essentially led to his death. And I, I want to point that out because it's it's been such a significant part of of my journey in my life of advocacy for birthing partners who for birthing partners as a whole uh, to have empowered pregnancies and to learn about how to arm themselves with information that can help save their child potentially Mm -hmm. um, so that they do not know this heartbreak of, of stillbirth. So you heard me mention it's, it was TJ's fifth uh, birthday this past weekend. And my journey has been, it's a journey first, first and foremost, this is life work um, as a grieving parent. And um, I'm, I'm so very appreciative to be here connecting with you and and all of those that are listening. And I do want to highlight that I'm so thankful for individuals like you who have really helped birthing partners like myself be connected with each other and, and to realize or recognize that we aren't alone in, in our grief, in our, in our parenthood journey, that we do not have to live life one certain way and that our relationship continues to evolve. Mm. Thank you. So if you were to look back over the past five years since TJ died, and if you were to give a little bit more information on how your grieving journey developed, I mean, in in the beginning, this is devastating, right? If you lose a child that you don't have any lead up to it, this is, this is traumatic. Would you give us a little bit of background of how that transitioned for you? So for me, five years ago, and what was that? 2017 in the hospital hearing that there were, that, that he had no heartbeat immediately. It's confusing, right? Mm-hmm. There's, it, it was immediate confusion of how could this possibly happen? This type of thing does not happen anymore. This doesn't happen. What do you mean? My child is dead. And immediately there was the presence of, of the grief and the love that automatically was so fierce because, you know, you, I was, 36 and a half weeks pregnant preparing for my TJ to be here. Mm -hmm. And so the love and that relationship already developed. And then as you can imagine a full pump on the brakes of now he's dead. So that was confusing right away. It's still some days, even five years later is confusing because, you know, I look at these most beautiful pictures of my son and those are all the pictures that I have. And I think of, you know, I, the, the world continues to evolve forward. 
I had to immediately make the decision that he is always going to move forward with me in a unique way that other people may not understand. Maybe I didn't ever, I don't understand even, right? I mean, there's no guidebook to this. We're, we're just parenting together and trying to do the best that we can on a, on a given day. Hmm. So with my grief, it is not linear as well. And that's why I also have a challenge with some of the school of thoughts of the the five stages of grief, because for me, that is not, that does not, I do not identify with that. So in the, going back to the early days, there was a lot of confusion, but one of the things that was always present in the grief was the love and navigating through how do I continue showing my love for my son that happens to be dead. And you heard me mention, you know, my appreciation for you and all the books that you have shared out. Even uh, like four years ago, what really helped me self-reflect on being unapologetic about my life was one of the um, May We All Heal, uh, May We Heal uh, uh, months uh, uh prompts that, that you um, used to host in, in the month of May. Mm-hmm. And that first year that I attended, that that was really what helped me grieve out loud. Mm-hmm. That gave me the permission for myself to say all the emotions that are that are occurring inside, I can share them out unapologetically because within that first year, so many of us may experience people not being able to receive our reality. It may be too much for them. And I came to that realization that even though it may be too much, that's my truth. Am I an unapologetic about my love for my dead son Hmm. who did live and lives on with me and, and our family? He moves forward with us. Yeah, you described that beautifully. And one of the topics that I always have to go through with my clients is the topic of how do we parent a child that is not physical because that's not neither something that we've learned or had had if any any role models to and it's not something that fortunately we want to learn but then there comes a time when we have to and it's this parenting of a non-physical place in our lives where there is love and you might have heard that statement grief is homeless love but how how do we do with the love when it's it's still there just doesn't have a physical home to go to so describe a little bit how do you live that love for tj it's hard it's a daily practice so you heard me mention that he has he has living siblings and um, parenting a, a, a living child has the daily demands and i find myself thinking and pausing when when his siblings are not around about his love and and how I parent him and how do I show him that love on a daily basis I try my very best to be intentional every single day I actually start my day with coffee which I actually have here (laughs) and one of the routines for me has evolved on what I refer to as intentional, like TJ coffee. A little backstory behind that: I have always loved coffee. I've, um, I was, uh, whenever I was pregnant, I actually allowed myself one cup 
but um, I, I always went to Starbucks to go get it in, in my neighborhood. And it was a little experience with me pregnant and just connecting with, with my TJ. When he died, I, it was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to get out of bed. And it's um, one of within the first uh, few days of, of getting uh, returning from the hospital, my husband made coffee for me and brought it to me in bed. And he said, you know, he, he reminded me how much of an experienced coffee was. And he said, here, just when you're ready, I, you can get out of bed when you're ready. And I remember being on my bed and hearing the Brooklyn noise outside of my room, hearing um, TJ's sister outside um, in the living room. And then having the coffee just right next to my bed. And I thought as, you know, tears were coming down, you know, I have to find a way to physically move forward or physically hold him um, in my heart and move forward through this experience. And so long story short, now it's evolved into these TJ coffee that every single morning and sometimes throughout the day (laughs) to be fully honest, I'll have my coffee. And I have a Starbucks app, which I strongly recommend for anyone, whether it's a Starbucks app or whatever your favorite thing is, if there's an app to put your child's name in your coffee or as your coffee order, because I order my coffee under TJ. So I get that opportunity to hear his name screams at Starbucks or any time that I get coffee and it warms my heart. So this is something that's so small but is so big in the way that I have this intimate relationship with him when it comes to my coffee and moments like that. And it's really helped me. I I work, I'm in sales and transitioning back to what I refer to as the real world is very difficult, can be difficult. And I, and for me, it also became um, a comfort, a sense of comfort when I needed a break from you know, regular people and, um, you know, needed to excuse myself and say, I need a coffee. It, it felt for me somewhat as like a sense of uh, security to have my TJ present there with me doing hard, hard things in the real world. That's one example. I also am a big advocate of, of running and, and music because when I was pregnant with TJ, um, I actually ran and we listened to Latino music, a handful of different types of Latino music. And it's just that movement is, is I'm connected to. So this past weekend, celebrating his first, uh, fifth birthday, I ran five miles and it wasn't pretty in the sense that, I mean, it was hard. It's hard. But I listened to the music, I paused, I tried giving myself the space to let emotions come. And yes, I cried. And, you know, it's, I'm glad that I was able to do that. And I continue to have moments with him in movement. And that can be just, you know, as a, as a reminder that he is here with me, just in the, the, in, in more of like a spiritual way. I'm really impressed with the rituals that you're describing and I can almost see them physically how they evolve and to your to your coffee story it almost seems like coffee and TJ have become um, a thing that goes together is like one right yes I actually have people um, that I've met in this community that send me pictures of uh, of their coffees with TJ. They, they, they've adopted the TJ coffee and with their child. And 
it warms my heart because some days may be a little heavier and to receive a picture um, of someone thinking of your child can provide that little lift. Mm, beautiful. Yes, I, I can totally agree, especially with the mentioning of their names, which doesn't happen as often as you would if you have a living child. It's important to make space that you can you can have that name and that symbol in your life. What would you wish you would have known at the beginning of your grieving and healing journey? That it's okay to be unapologetic about it. I think five years ago, I didn't see very many people like myself. I didn't see Latinas um, openly sharing their realities. And I wish I would have known back then that it was it's 100% okay. And that's also what has been my driving force of being as open as I am, um, despite how others may interpret that. Yeah, that would be my next question. I mean, I, I gather that um, from the experience that I have and my clients have, there can be quite a lot of reactions to recommendations, to expectations that people have around us in their in their attempt of making you feel better or in their helplessness as well. How do you deal with um, those reactions that you get, given that you are also quite public about it? I try very hard not to think about other people's expectations. And with that, accepting that relationships have completely changed because of of grief. And I, the old, the, the person I was five years ago is dead. She's dead. And I'm okay with that. I've evolved. She's, she's evolved into something else. And it's other people that have the challenge and that's their problem. <laughs> I guess that's the best way to put it. I, and I laugh because it's taken me so long to get to that point. But, you know, I, unfortunately, sometimes that means family. Sometimes that means family is not ready to receive the person that you are in your reality, right? They want to put your grief in a little box. They care, but they don't know how to care for the individual that you have become. And accepting that is, is once again, part of life work. I, in my opinion, for me, it will be life work. Um, because I also had expectations of family or friends that would be present consistently, um, and they haven't been. So if they haven't been, why should I water down my reality of my love for my son and the pain that comes with that to make them comfortable? I, I won't. And I think that that's important to share because so many of us can water down our realities for the benefit of someone else mm. and their comfort. That's a beautiful way to describe it. Water down our reality and our authenticity. And if their authentic way of grieving is to share unapologetically about your love for your son, then this is, this is how it is. I mean, for others, it might be a different version Completely. of whatever that is. Can you tell us about a time when you didn't or couldn't or wouldn't grieve or heal and why? Well, I think that first year, even even looking back, was was so challenging in the sense of sharing my reality. So I I ended up after about a few months TJ died, I realized that I could not be truthful on my 
previous Instagram page that was, which was my personal, pre, my previous Instagram page. I realized I couldn't be truthful about my grief, my reality. So I started another page, which is my stillbirth mama fighting for light page. I started it not thinking about, it was more so just to follow people, to to connect with other individuals, to see how other people live this life as, as a grieving individual. And it took a few months to realize that I was suppressing my reality and that I could put it out in the world into my as a as a journal as as a as my grief process and that page stillbirth mama fighting for light has evolved into my grief journal it's been a way for me to highlight some of the reality that in the early days i wasn't supported or i did not feel supported at the time to be that transparent that authentic um, whether it be because of my husband and, and recognizing that my reality was just too extreme for him or even my mom or my siblings, um, or, or actually, yeah, I think that group specifically. Um, and I had to come to a, a point where I said, that's great, but that's what that's for for all of you to process. I can't worry about how you're going to receive me. I need to parent my son and honor where I'm at. So that's the evolution, once again, of the stillbirth mama fighting for light and how I really transitioned my grief and my reality to be unapologetic. And I say that quite often, unapologetic grief. It's taken me time. But I can't sugarcoat, once again, my reality. I can't water myself down. Um, I actually, even five years later, sometimes have this conversation with my husband when, you know, he may, uh, actually, it was just this weekend, um, reminding him that through the tears, there is still happiness. And I'm not going to stop my tears if they come. There is sadness. And there is also happiness. And to, for some people, it can be hard to hear that, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. Sometimes it's like 10 or 20 different emotions at once. And that is okay. Mm. That is okay. Yeah, I always say emotions are not dangerous. They come and go. They're intense. And especially with a significant loss, they are really intense. And they're intense for, especially at the beginning, for 24-7. And this is... This is experience that people potentially, most likely, never have had before until that significant loss. And then it comes like a tidal wave. And then yeah. they have to deal with that. You were talking about your husband and you mentioned your mother and your siblings. How do they deal with your unapologetic grief now? Do they get access to your Facebook, uh, to your Instagram page or not? So my husband has been great and we've had to have some significant conversations in the past five years, specifically that first year, year and a half, when I think there had to be an understanding, an agreement and a respect for our process being completely different. That has really been the most important thing for my husband and I having, and, and sometimes 
I find that the agreement needs to be rediscussed, right? So some things may be too raw for him at a given point, but it's not for me. This is once again, my reality. So I can't, I cannot be concerned about how he's going to receive me if I'm going to be standing in my truth. And I can't get mad with him if he has a certain reaction. And this is, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. It's no surprise that, you know, families have some significant challenges because you you grow, you grow in a different way. And if there is no respect for the the evolution, then you just won't survive. So my husband has been very helpful in, in that sense. And also helpful with a lot of the charity work that I do and the advocacy work that I do with Push for Empowered Pregnancy, one of the groups that I work with, in addition to advocacy with, you know, measure the placenta with trying to really advance and demand change for uh, maternal and prenatal um, care for birthing partners specifically in, in the U.S. He's also, with that, he's he's tried supporting me in the sense of things that he excels in and that's like business entrepreneurship so he'll try and provide that type of support and although it may not be as unapologetic as as I am with words he tries to support in that aspect and so I really let him kind of lead in that because that's also hit evolved in in the sense of how a way that he supports parenting TJ Mm, so yeah. I think it's take it's it's taken a while, and it and I know it's life work once again. Yeah, I appreciate that you described the differences between um, the way your reality is in regarding to parenting TJ and the way your husband's reality is. And I mean, this is one of the topics as well for grievers, and not just um, grieving parents, but grievers in general. Each and every person um, has their own reality with it. And even though there's common elements that come after a loss, the reaction to the loss is still depending on the personal history, the personal history with grief and loss and trauma and the personality of how, on what kind of bed this this is going to sit, what kind of soil is there for this to, to hold on to. Now, you mentioned a couple of resources um, that have helped you. You mentioned the charity work that you're doing. You also mentioned your, your rituals. What other resources or insights have helped you in, in the phase where you might not have been so unapologetic yet? What has helped you? You know, um, one of the groups that I haven't mentioned yet is is Return to Zero Hope. And I know that I think it was maybe six years ago, um, Kylie um, had a retreat in Australia, right? I think that's where, yeah. And um, I believe you and, and a handful of others um, in the community attended. Um, I had the opportunity of attending a retreat um, after about a year and a half of TJ, um, after TJ died. And that was such a pivotal moment for me to self-reflect and, and really um, explore uh, further the connection with TJ of from a spiritual sense. I used to be very religious. And then, you know, what's TJ's death that transitioned to being more spiritual and having a more being very one of those one of the significant pieces of that is being connected to nature and really um, craving being in nature and and, um, as part of my grief. But with that, I, I was able to really explore 
that with through Kylie and her team. And I can't recommend enough um, being able to give yourself, if you can, the support of attending a retreat or attending a virtual support group. Kylie um, and her team have a handful of different opportunities where you can uh, scholarships and a handful of different resources just on online. But yeah, that's one of the another group that I that I attribute a lot of my healing and growth to. Another resource that anytime I get the opportunity to share with a birthing partner that just had a recent loss that even happens to be at the hospital, please go to this website or, or Kylie's website because she goes in detail on a few different tips that you can essentially explore or incorporate um, within the first, you know, or within the first 24 hours to really support your time with your child. Mm. So for those who are listening, we are going to put all of these links into the show notes. So if you want to check out the links that Dominic mentioned, you'll find them in the show notes. What would you recommend others about their journey if they're maybe just in the early days, there was some kind of advice that you would want to impart them with? I think the biggest piece that I, I'd love to connect or um, express is, you know, first and foremost, I'm so sorry that you are, you're here. Um, and I, I want to express that we, that you have a community, um, that you are not alone in this and that you can parent any way that you want and that will evolve and um, you cannot compare your grief to everyone else's and you can't allow other people to compare your grief to anyone else. You have to just be present for yourself and make sure that you are showing up for yourself. Um, and lastly, love is eternal. That's beautiful. It's interesting, you know, listening to my podcast guests, I hear certain elements repeated and love is eternal or love never ends has been one of those things. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that. The, 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 in, in terms of the community that you mentioned, I mean, as we know, and, and we're going to put that link there as well, you have a lot of um, community aspects through um, Instagram. And then you also mentioned Mayville Hill and you mentioned Kylie's groups. We're going to put those links, as I said, into the show notes um, for people to find them. Are there any other ways that you could, that you would tell people go there to find your network or your Push for Empowered Pregnancy is the group that um, I mentioned that I work uh, very closely with. I'm one of the co-directors for communications. We support other birthing partners, um, empowering their pregnancy with information and um, essentially a, a group where we have tried getting all the different organizations out there, all the different charities that are in the stillbirth space, space, the maternal health space, and we're trying to get them all together as a little hub because right now it's all very siloed. And as we all know, in order to really demand change and, and uh, decrease the rates, um, the horrific rates of stillbirth, right, we in the States, for a frame of reference, 23,000 families experience stillbirth in the states which is absolutely horrific and that has not changed that rate is just it's horrific so the only way that we can demand change is if we try and unite as many 
um, groups as we possibly can. So I would definitely recommend going to Instagram and, and following us. And we are actually, for those that are in the States, are going to uh, have uh, a big march in, in Washington, D.C. on October 15th called The Big Push. And you can receive a lot more of the information there on our webpage as well as um, Instagram. And we have a handful of different um, charities that will be contributing as well or participating. Wonderful. Great. So we're going to put that there in the link section as well. Go and check out also Dominic's Instagram page. She's very beautifully unapologetic, grieving. So thank you so much, Dominic, for all the authentic sharing and all the, in your words, unapologetic way that you celebrate your motherhood of TJ. If you're ready, shall we end with the rapid fire questions? Let's do it. <laughs> As you know, and those of those of you listening, these are the questions that I'm going to end and ask every one of my podcast guests. And they're just five sentence starters and the podcast guests are going to finish them. So the first one, grieving and trauma means? Life work. The second one, healing means? Everlasting commitment. Mm. What I have learned about myself in the light of loss and trauma? That I'm fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I wish people knew about loss and trauma? The love never goes away. Mm. And the last one, one specific thing that has changed since my loss and trauma that I wouldn't want to miss is? Learning who can stand with me and who can help me rise. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Dominic. I really enjoyed our conversation, even though this topic is not one of the entertaining podcast topic. I really do appreciate the light and hope that we bring with these conversations to people who have experienced grief and loss. But thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to How to Deal with Grief and Trauma. If you'd like to be updated on future episodes, please subscribe to our newsletter on nataliehimmelrich.com. If you need grief support, please contact me for a 30 minutes free discovery session. How to Deal with Grief and Trauma is produced and edited by me, Natalie Himmelrich. To support this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe to or follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. And remember to keep reading. I promise it will get easier. <laughs>